from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to thegoodatheist.net. My name is Jacob Fortan. Today I have a very special guest. He has been. He was the executive producer of the Daily Show with John Stewart. He he has won countless Emmy awards, Grammy awards, Peabody awards. Uh, he is uh, one was one of the main writers for America the Book, and also apparently the sequel to that, the uh, Earth the Book: Vader's Guide to the Human Race. And now he just finished writing the Last Testament uh, memoir by God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to David Jabberbaum. Thank you for uh, being on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, uh, tell me a little bit about your inspiration to write this book. Reading it, uh, I can tell that the Old Testament needed to have a, a couple extra lines. The inspiration was, uh, to be quite candid, that God came to me and asked me to work on this with him. And so uh, I did that. And, um, you know, I did mainly transcription and some joke punch-up because I do comedy. So we, his sense of humor uh, is not has not really been... He, the last funny thing he did, I think, was the U.S. Civil War, and since then he's not been very funny. So he had my help in that, and I, I helped him punch up the jokes. Well, he's not a normally funny guy. Is that his problem? Uh, he does not have a sense of humor that translates, in my opinion, effectively to to the page. Um, you know, they'll do funny stuff like you know, like kill people or like kill a lot of people. You know, and it's you know, it's funny in context, but like you know, you have to be more literary when you write a book. Well, let me ask you this question. Maybe since you had the voice of God really speaking to you, uh, I'm trying to understand in, when, when, in Exodus, when the Jews are sort of like traveling around the desert, and a couple of them start complaining that there's no meat, and I guess they get pretty tired of the whole manna thing. Uh, and so God decides that he's going to give them all the meat they can handle. Is this a version of a joke, or is this more cruelty speaking? There's a section about manna uh, in the book, which is... Uh I believe you have a recipe uh, for manna, for delicious manna meals. Yeah, it's mainly just, you know, just go collect the manna is the recipe, because that's kind of how, how, it, how it worked. Um, you know, manna was, you know, it's food for traveling, you know, dropped from a height, and it's, it was airline food, essentially, it was airline food. And so they, the, the Jews ate airline food for 40 years while traveling. But it's fine. I mean, nobody travels to Israel for the food. No, they go there for the mental institutions, the quality, quality mental institutions. They do. Who do you think was God's favorite person in the Bible? Like, who is his favorite? Definitely Jacob. Why is he his favorite? Because he's, he was a tricky bastard. And God just really liked the fact that he was such a tricky little bastard. Uh, you know, he played tricks on Esau, he played, you know, on his brother, and uh, you just do all kinds, of, all kinds of crazy stuff. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm gonna, I can read. Uh, uh, he had his own catchphrase, actually. Which was like thou got jaked, you know, like you, you know, like like a merchant <laughs> would come and like he would like make him trip on the wet sand and fall into a dung pile, and he'd be like, thou got jaked, you know, that kind of thing. He was he was the first Ashton Kutcher before Ashton Kutcher. Yes, that's right. Yes, he he was he was punked. He was he was the original punk punker, you know, and and he would like you know he, was, he would trick people out of their cattle and they'd be like thou got jaked. You know, and, and God just thought he was kind of a tricky bastard. I also like the fact that Jacob seems to be uh, single-minded in his quest to really fuck over his brother. Yeah, he's determined to just get the edge on people. And um, I think a lot of the negative stereotypes about Jews date from Jacob. 
he was the one who, in fact, became Israel. They changed his name to Israel because he wrestled with God. It's true, but I, although I'll, I'll tell you what, honestly, I think that Abraham still has him beaten on on like the, the the scammers in the Bible. Actually, I really think that his scam was better because he he had his sister who is also his wife, so he'd go to town after town, and then he would say, "Hey, this is my sister," and then the local magistrates would marry her. Then they'd get cursed. And then all of a sudden, to just get rid of them, they'd pay them a whole bunch of money and say, get the fuck out of town. That, to me, sounds like a real scammer. Yeah, well, those were, those were rapey times. You know, they were just full of rape. And, you know, you did what you had to do to avoid, to avoid rape back then. And, you know, so I, I understand what Abraham was doing uh, on behalf of Sarah. Well, uh, Jacob's in a different time now, though. I mean, things are sweeter. Oh, Jacob! Oh, the next, oh, those generations, two generations later, was totally different. Yeah, no, it was a whole, it was a whole different world. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, it was like from the '60s to the yuppies to the aughts. I mean, it was completely different. You know, there was like, you know, you know that song like "There's something happening here." Like they would do that like all the time back then. It was just that cool that that song was constantly playing. Yeah, it was really cool. And and Isaac seems to get pretty much the shaft. Uh, from from God, though, I got to tell you, he seems to not be impressed. Uh, Isaac was just very dull. Like he was just very dull, and and you know, God says, you know, I'm trying to keep the story going, and uh, and Isaac, frankly, is is uh, going to slow us down. So there's not much to say. I mean, Isaac was just a, he's sort of like one of those characters in the movie that's just like good and nice and a little stiff, and so he's kind of dull. You know, uh, Isaac was when Abraham was told he had to go kill him uh, as a sacrifice to God. All right, so he's obviously a little bit fucked up in the head. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, he was a baby when that happened, so it certainly fucked up Abraham. It certainly messed up Abraham. It made him feel, you know, kind of weird that God asked him to kill his only son. Well, it's not just that, but check this out. How fucked up would you be? Not only do you almost get killed, but also you had to carry up all the shit and accompany your dad while he's just lying to you the whole time. It's like, that's, that's another part that's just kind of... Yeah, that hurts. Yeah, I think the father-son relationship between Abraham and Isaac was strained, and I think that's something that God regretted and kept in mind about two millennia later when he sent his own son down to Earth. I think he wanted that to work out better. Well, I don't think it did, though. The whole no, no, it worked out very well. Everything that happened to Jesus was Jesus's idea, and you know, God's and this is in the book, but God's take on the whole thing was just like it's humiliating. It's humiliating to have my son, you know hang out with human beings, you know, like no son of mine should be a son of thine is basically what his attitude was. Um, but Jesus needed to, to find himself. He was a classic middle child because he was a middle child. Well, he spent how many years just pretty much vamoosed, gone, you know, missing persons kind of level? Yeah, he was, he, there, there was, God has three children, uh, Zach, Jesus, and Kathy. Um, and Jesus was the middle child. And I think he never really found his place. Um, and so he sort of wanted to do this hippy dippy thing, go to earth and redeem humanity, which God at the time didn't think was really worth it. Um, but he sort of did it because God's, God's wife, who's Ruth, Ruth from the old Testament, wound up, uh, marrying God. It was a, it was a nice ceremony. Uh, and Ruth convinced God to let Jesus do it. And Jesus came down to earth and, uh, I think you, you all know what happened. I mean, it was, it was an exciting time, and it ended with a crucifixion, which I should point out, given that time, the Romans had so many forms of death. Crucifixion was the, like the least unpleasant way to die 
by the Roman hand. It was there were incredibly horrible other ways to die. So he had, Jesus got off kind of easy. Wouldn't they throw boiling oil on you or something like that, or make you drink it? Oh, they boil boil oil on you. They tie you down and smear honey on you and let the ants come eat you. You know, they would do this thing where they would slice you up in cubes over a week. It was it was it was Jesus got off easy. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, the cube thing would have been a lot more difficult to create a a, a very memorable symbol. And the boiling oil thing and the honey. I think it. I think it's just because it had it offered a better logo opportunity, you know, better marketing. The cross is number two behind the swoosh, I would say, in terms of brand recognition. It used to be the Apple uh, logo, but I, I guess it went down, huh? Since Steve Jobs died. Uh, I would still say the cross is above the. I would I'd call it Apple number three. Number three. Swoosh okay. cross. Apple. That's true, because you know what? There's a lot of children in China that see the swoosh every day as their little hands try to sew them out of the shoes. Uh, and for that matter, they see the apple, too, I might point out. That, well, yeah, that is true, although the people that work for Apple are more likely to jump off to their deaths than the people who work for Nike. So I don't even know. Maybe the logo is more depressing. Yeah, the whole continent of Asia is, is one that God is not that interested in. Apart from the Middle East, Asia is not his strong continent. Yeah, he's never really done well there. Although, there, uh, I don't know if you know this, but there was something called the Boxer Rebellion, um, where this... Uh, uh, yeah, I know. I, I know about it in China. Yeah. Well, you know, they tried. 20 million dead. You know, it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Mao could do that in his sleep. True. I mean, it doesn't even make a dent over there. You, know, you kill 20 million people for you know, religious reasons, and no one cares enough to know. I mean, how many people know what the Boxer Rebellion is in, in, in North America? Nobody. I know. And they all look alike, too, right? But their food is delicious. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God, it's amazing. Except for their desserts. The worst desserts yeah. in the world. Have you ever had moon cake? It's disgusting. Oh, I know. Oh, it's crazy. Their cultural differences alienate and confuse me. Especially the de- we we make great desserts and shitty meals. They do the opposite. We're not. We're we're. I think we were actually meant to be together because of that. Now, uh, I, I want to go back to the um to to the Old Testament because after uh, I feel like God was was quite unfair with the uh, with Moses and and preventing him from coming on. You you claim that it was not the whole rock striking thing. But it was really his mouthiness. Yeah, well, one of the things you learn in the book is that people think Moses was like a Charlton Heston figure. But the better analogy is Charles Manson. Moses was more like Charles Manson. He was a, he was a cult leader leading a small group of sort of ragged people out of the desert on a crazy, crazy mission. Uh, and, and that's what he was. Um, and it worked. I think that's why you needed a spokesperson. Aaron is the straight man to his wackiness. That's right. Aaron was the person who would talk like a normal person and, and sort of, you know, put, put things in a way that didn't seem so crazy and scary. Uh, and then Moses would uh, be, the, be, the, be the crazy thing. You know, he'd do the crazy thing. Like, for example, I'll, I'll read you a chapter from the uh, book. What actually happened, when the first time Moses went before Pharaoh, Moses stood before Pharaoh, terrifying yet mesmerizing to behold, unkempt and savage-eyed, an ankh carved onto his forehead, and he said unto Aaron, Man, tell this pig there's like millions of people out there who are slaves, man. Not just like chains and whips and shit, but like mental slaves, like slaves to the whole corporal pyramid theocracy. It's propped up by this this fucking fascist, courtesy of the little the little fucking the little the, the fucking obelisks he's implanted in all of our brains. And the only solution is to burn it down, man. Burn the whole motherfucker down. And and Aaron said, "Let my people go." So Aaron translated that. He really did make it more succinct. Yeah, more more succinct. 
The other part that I found was interesting about Moses, because I think you're right here. I mean, definitely it, it seems to me that the Exodus sounds more like Woodstock than anything that Charlton Heston would have really uh, tried to organize. I mean, there's no real plan. We're just going to get out there and start sacrificing animals, and uh, and eventually we'll reach the promised land. I, I All I remember is before they leave Egypt, they rob everybody. But even then, I mean, I don't think you're going to get 40 years' worth of stuff there. So it's very poor planning. Very poor planning. It was very poor planning. And, you know, the food they brought with them was the unleavened bread, the matzah, and the charoseth, and the other things people, the Jews, we, we Jews know from the Seder. The one thing they left behind was one of their was the double fudge chocolate cake, which is like that was the, the, the big thing, and that was the one thing they forgot to bring with them is double fudge chocolate cake. So that's why you don't see that on the Seder. You have all these this bad food and not double fudge chocolate cake. Well, you have to admit though, when you create a list of foods to eat, it's easier to tell people what not to eat than to tell them what they should eat. Because that's just going to take you forever. Uh, yeah, but I mean, th- that was a specialty that they had, was, uh, was that double fudge chocolate cake. Well, they'll never be known for that now. Yeah. And they also like to, they, they like to, the reason why they were told to not, they made a big point about bringing only the flat bread, the unleavened bread. The reason being was, when they were slaves, the only real way they had of sort of showing off how much, how much they had relative to each other was by was through over yeasting. They would yeast a lot. Like they would, like you would put a lot of yeast in because you could afford yeast. And then you put it in the bread, and you have like a, like a like a ten foot high loaf, and you put it out on your front yard, and people would be like, "Wow, no. he's he's rolling in yeast," you know. It's like keeping up with the Goldbergs, is what you mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so there was no time for that, and so the point had to be made, like you know, no no time for yeast. Just keep the bread flat because we're on a we're on a schedule. I definitely think, though, if you if you are trying to to to, to be travel ready, uh, bringing yeast is just going to be an, an invitation to trouble. It's not like they have refrigeration there, and uh, I can only imagine yeast being a giant problem for for unwashed masses. Yeah, yeah, and they were very they were very unwashed. They they didn't get to wash very much. I mean, forty years in the desert, you know, you, you don't you didn't you know they didn't bring any like emollients or or moisturizers. So we don't get into the book so much, but their skin was just, the, the terrible skin you know, after 40 years in the, in the desert. And it really does that. You're in the hot, dry sun. And that's a, a factor people don't think about with the Exodus is that it really wreaks havoc on sort of their, their, their beauty regimens. Well, you also have to th- consider the fact that, uh, you know, when, when water uh, is, is only achieved when you're striking rocks with very specific staffs, uh, you're not going to have a lot of uh, water for bathing. I mean, there must have been an entire generation that never bathed. Yeah, no, they, they, they never bathed. And again, this this is where the Manson thing comes in. I mean, they were a group of smelly, stinky, long hairs wandering through the desert following a uh, a, a crazy man with an ankh carved onto his forehead. So it was a very Manson-esque kind of thing, at least at first. But then gradually the older people died off, and the new generation came, and they were more about the, they were more yuppie-ish. You know, they wanted to, they were ready to take over Israel and, you know, sort of, you know, they were bachelor of the universe types. They were ready to go in and, like, destroy Jericho and destroy all the other towns. Well, they sounded a lot less like pussies is what they sounded like. They were tougher. They were definitely tougher. Yeah. They were ready to, to go in. And so once they went in, led by Joshua, uh, they took over Israel pretty quickly. Speaking of Joshua, you, you seem to take away kind of the miracle of the whole thing with the trumpets and stuff. You're saying, nah, they were digging... They were digging a hole. It was, uh, it was like, completely planned and then... 
You, you know, the whole trumpet thing was just to make people feel good. Don't you think that's going to take uh, the, the whole mystery away? Why does God want to just reveal his hand so quickly? Well, in general, the reason why God is, is getting, is talking about so many of these things and spilling so many beans, as it were, is that uh, there's only a year left you know, before the end of the world. And he just wants to get some of this sure. out, just to clear his conscience, I think, and just sort of, so we can, you know, have a sort of going to the final year feeling like, okay, we have everything on the table, you know, let's have a more honest relationship between God and humanity, and let's, you know, spend the time between now and December 21st, 2012, just kind of like having a good time, you know, and not feeling so tense toward each other. That's all for preparation, though, for, for, for a mass slaughter in just a year's time. How am I supposed to relax and have a good time? If I'm just going to get, you know, my head cut off and essentially be stomped in a gigantic wine press. If you think of it as a mass slaughter, then, yeah, you're going to look at it that way. You can also look at it as a mass opportunity. You know, in China, the word for mass slaughter is the same as that for mass opportunity. Did you know that? I'll have to check your facts on that one. No, look it up. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, don't look it up now or, or you know, yeah. ever, but, you know, look it up. Eventually, when you're not going to look it up. Yeah, look it up after you and I finish our, our conversation, and then I'll change my, my number. <laughs> and But see, going back to the whole mass slaughter thing, I'm, I'm trying to understand here how this doesn't violate uh, God's whole, you know, the rainbow thing, where he's like, I'm not going to kill all of you anymore, I'll be nice. By flood. By flood. Oh, uh, see, that's, that's the fine print right there. I'm not going to kill you all. By flood. I mean, what, what his position has been on these kind of events ever since the flood is, I promise not to kill all of you at the same time, and I have lived up to my promise, but I do kill a lot of you a lot of the time, because that was not forbidden. So that's what he's done, and he's not in violation of any covenant that he made. But in, in, the, in, in 20, like 2012 comes up, and... You know, what percentage of the population actually really is going to make the final cut of heaven? Because, I mean, there's 30,000 denominations of Christianity. Most of them are probably wrong, I'm guessing. And if, if, if your new book is any indication, almost everyone's wrong. So who's, gonna, who's the elect? Who's going to make it? That sounds like most people getting killed to me, though. That sounds like a breach of contract. Honestly, you know what? I, I would love to tell you uh, I am under a confidentiality agreement. It's part of the terms of my, my ghostwriting deal is that I, I cannot discuss uh, certain matters. I do know the answer to those questions. I do know who's going to live and who's going to die and who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Love to tell you. Can I ask if Glenn Beck will be among them? I can't. I can't. I can't tell you. Give us some juicy detail. Who at least? One person. It can't, God can't be that mad if you give one person. Who would make it? Just one. All the pe everybody from Burma is going to hell. That's the only thing I'll tell you. Everybody from Burma is going to hell. I, I don't know why. I don't know. I don't. That's the only country where that's the case. I, I don't know why, but every Burmese is going to hell. That's all I can tell you. Okay. Please don't press me any further. Well, you know, I got to tell you that I, I, I can't blame him. Burma's a mess. So you, you, it's just pretty much you just fuck everyone over. I mean, it's not like he has a problem with that. Yeah. And by the way, I know it's called Myanmar now, but he he, he does not acknowledge that. He wants to keep it. Now there's a there's a big subtext to the book and 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 I wonder obviously you might not tell me because again you might be sworn to secrecy but there's a lot of uh, God talking about whether or not he's uh, you know he he finds himself to be either insane or problematic like he has a problem with himself it seems 
Yes, that's probably the biggest overall story arc of the book is is God gradually realizing and recognizing and trying to come to terms with the fact that there's something seriously wrong with him. You know, it's first obvious when he makes Abraham almost kill Isaac and he finds himself kind of getting off on it. And then again, when he sends the entire Egyptian army into the Red Sea to drown and he really enjoys that spectacle. And then a couple of other times in the book and he's really... It culminates with him with him causing the Titanic. He was actually behind the Titanic personally, uh, and that's recounted in the book. And he just has to sort of reconcile himself to himself. And so I think at the most moving part of the book, toward the end, there's a, a, a wonderful scene that God was able to share with me where God talks to the only entity that he can really turn to for help, which is himself. Well, he's he's really uh, who's qualified to really tell God how you know messed up he is. Yeah, and the good thing is when God prays to God, God answers. So that's that's an advantage of of being God is that God answers your prayer. Has he told you anything about these uh, other universes that he's just been slutting around with at any time where he's he's not made himself present? Apparently, he's traveling around. What are these other universes like? Has he mentioned much uh, about these things? He's a little sheepish about it. I think he feels self-conscious. As, as discussed in the book, he has been seeing, overseeing, I should say, other universes. I think 23 other universes. And some of them are like half our age, you know, and some of them are just two-dimensional, literally two-dimensional. They don't have any width. It sounds shallow. Yeah, they're, shallow. exactly. They are, they are very shallow. And it's something he's been doing just to sort of deal with. He's at a certain age. You know, he's 6,000 years old. And I, I think... Um, he's having a you know a bit of a, of a midlife crisis. It happened after the Middle Ages, in fact. So it is a Middle Age crisis, and that's kind of what he's been dealing with. And it culminated with this Titanic incident. And then he spent the last hundred years, which I know people were wondering, you know, where was he the last hundred years? He was sort of on a retreat. He was sort of away, just sort of getting his shit together, kind of. So how does how does God feel generally about people like say Cindy Jacobs? or uh, Peter Wagner, you know, people who are like, God speaks directly to me, natural disasters are the results of don't ask, don't tell. Um, and, you know, you have a section in the book where you talk about saying that, that you know, really honestly, God has absolutely no problem with uh, homosexuality. In, in fact, I'm sure it's responsible for a lot of his entertainment. Yeah, no, God, God has no problem with homosexuality. And he says that explicitly several times in the book, uh, that he is he is very gay-friendly, and in fact, and he, he created Adam and Steve. Adam and Steve are, in fact, what he created, um, just because he didn't want kids. He didn't want the couples to be distracted from their gardening and landscaping, so that's why he made Adam and Steve. Um, of course, that didn't work out. The snake came out, and he was closet case. This is on the book, and didn't work out, and so he made Steve into an e, into Eve, and you know they, but. Uh, yeah, and then that, that's how sex began. Adam, Adam and Eve were having sex for a while, and then after a few years, they learned how to do it vaginally. But it was an awkward transition. Well, I definitely understand now why women is spelled uh, "woe man," especially after that story. Yeah, Steve came from Adam's uh, from Adam's rib, and then Eve came from from Steve having a, a pretty a pretty blunt uh, you know, gender reassignment surgery. Would you know this question? Because everybody always asks this of theologians. They can't seem to provide an answer. Maybe you can. Did Adam and Steve have a belly button? That is a great question. I know. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, next time I see God, which I think is going to be uh, tomorrow at 2.30-ish, 
I'm going to ask him uh, that question. I would say that yes, because it would make no sense to continually have this design, you know, on us without without really starting for, from the get go of wanting to see what it would look like. Sure, they didn't come from the womb, but you still want to see what the final product's going to look like if you if they have kids. No, like, does God Himself have a belly button? Ooh, that's a good question. I really think it it depends on the length that you cut the umbilical cord more than anything. But would it be an innie or an outie? It's a, it's a style choice. It's kind of like uh, should you go? It's like a haircut maybe, except for that one's a little bit more permanent. Yeah. I have an innie. Uh, personally, I feel like they're less uh, obstructive, you know, to clothing and things like that. I can't imagine what it must be to have like a button, an actual button on your stomach. Yeah. Well, you can you can store more lint in an innie. <laughs> well, it, that's the whole thing with pregnancy. Women go from having outies to innies to outies. That's just that's when you push it that far, it just gets you know, it's, it's like a balloon. It's kind of disgusting. Well, pregnancy is, is disgusting. The whole the whole process is disgusting. I don't want to talk about. It. I can't even deal with it. Well, you wrote a book, What to Expect When You're Expected. So you must have done quite a bit of research of that. That was 2009 that you released that book. Oh yeah, I did. Yes, that's right. Uh, I have a book out called What to Expect When You're Expected. That was my first solo book. That was a fetus's guide to the first three trimesters. The first pregnancy book written to the fetus. And so it covers all nine months of pregnancy and answers all the questions a fetus would have. Um, you know, but I'll be honest with you, that was a bit of a humor book. Uh, I was joshing. Whereas with this book, The Last Testament, this is, this is much more earnest. So have you have you decided how um, what's the best way to tell people about this New Testament because uh, or this last testament because if you think about it the last time a person made uh, you know an announcement about a New Testament it didn't end up so well you're referring to what the New Testament because the Koran was also written by God and that went extremely well the Koran was a huge hit immediately actually. Well, that's true, but I feel I feel like the Koran is essentially just uh, pretty much uh, you know a ripoff of of the other books, and uh, we you know with a couple other things here and there, some some strange scientific explanations that don't make any sense, like the whole water thing. Is that did God put that confusing shit saying that salt water and fresh water don't mix? Did he put that in? That seems foolish. Uh, you know, God, God is very proud of the Quran, and you know, he's very proud of, of Islam. That's the third religion, and he certainly, I, I think, I think his point was Christianity had gotten very sort of touchy feely, and also very much about Jesus, and he wanted to focus, I think, back on him, and so that was the motivation behind the, the creation of Islam. Was just like he wanted, he wanted a, a, a God religion that was God. You know, no, like, well, who's the boss, father or son? You know, he wanted just, just him, and. Uh, he found a prophet in Muhammad, and that went very well. And the Quran was it was a huge hit immediately, and people have been you know nuts about it ever since. Well, they have definitely been willing to do uh, absolutely anything in support of the book. W- what would you say is God's biggest regret? You know, like if you had to trace back and say, "I wish I would have done things differently." What, what I mean, speaking through him, what would you say as an intercessor? What would you say is his biggest regret? Uh, it's not on the book, but having talked to him, I think he wishes he had done more to promote hockey as a fourth sport in America. It's, it, it doesn't do that poorly, though. I mean, you've got plenty of team. No, I know, but it's, 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 de- it's definitely, he feels like, and I think he's right, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the fourth sport. I mean, baseball, football, basketball, they're the big three, and hockey is like definitely showing behind, and I, God loves hockey, and I think 
you know, he I think he wishes he had done more to make it as popular in America as it is in Canada. I think that's probably his biggest regret in world history. How does he feel about the Thrashers moving to uh, Winnipeg? Winnipeg. Oh, he's very happy about the Winnipeg move. Uh, he is know, happy about that. Yeah, that's that's where hockey belongs, is back in these cities. I think it's part of it. And I, I think part of his regret is banking too much on the appeal of the you know the Gretzky era that hockey can really have its roots in the, in the South. I think what he should have done, and I think he would be the first to admit to this, is to really try to build the base more in the Canadian strongholds, in the northern cities in the U.S., and use that more as a springboard to growth in the southern and the Sun Belt regions in the south, southeast California, uh, rather than trying to sort of make the, this, this sort of premature move to places like Atlanta, you know, Phoenix, uh, Nashville. Um, I think that also the Holocaust. But I think hockey really mainly is, is, a, is the big thing. I think the hockey is, is the thing he will get the most. Well, you know, you look at the Holocaust, and it, it just it sounds to me like more of that Old Testament stuff. So, I mean, uh, if he regretted the Holocaust as, uh, you know, as much as some people say, he might regret uh, what he was doing in Exodus. I'm telling you, he, he was burning people alive. He was killing them with dead birds. He he loves that stuff. He, he really does. Uh, you know, he really... He really enjoys it. I, you know, it's, it's his universe. You know, we're just living here. So we can kind of, you know, he, he has the right to do that. It's not like, it's not like we have our own free will or, or destiny, you know. It's not like we have the right to control our own lives. It's, it's his property, you know. If we don't like it, we can move to another universe. Actually, can we? Like, can we petition him to move to another universe, or do I have to do it myself? Well, you do it yourself. What is everything for you? Just, just figure out how to do it, man. I mean, stop being a freeloader. Do you know any good dimensions that I should probably check out? Because you know, this one's this one feels limited a little bit. Yeah, you know, kind of boring. Is there, is there a hot bitch like universe? None that I really want to mention. <laughs> oh man, see, that's why you hired me. That, that kind of Rachel like wit. That's why he hired me. That's why he wanted me for this project. I do the punch-up. Because one of the things that I was kind of curious about in your country is the fact that religion is, everyone is so obsessed about religion um, there. You know, like, uh, I, I wasn't quite aware of how bad it was until Mitt Romney became kind of, you know, a really leading political candidate. And then all of a sudden it's back to that whole, what religion are you? You know, test of religion being asked again. <laughs> You're like, fuck, they're really obsessed with that shit. I just thought it was kind of one of those, oh, yeah, America's really religious, and that must explain most of their behavior. But I, I'm starting to think, actually, it has more to do with the fact that they're a lot more religious than we actually were willing to admit, that if you don't toe the religious line, you, you just, you have no hope. No hope. Yeah, that's that's largely true. Um, I, I definitely think it would be impossible for... Uh, proud, out and proud atheist to be elected president at the moment. I think that would be the case. But I can tell you uh, uh, that obviously atheism is wrong. I, I used to be an agnostic myself, and uh, then I met God and worked with him for a year. Now that I've worked with him for a year, I can tell you that I'm a believer, but I wish I could be an atheist. What is he like in person, by the way? So you remember what uh, Moses wrote about the whole thing, where he just had to hide in the crack of a rock and see, like, his back, and even then he just passed out? Yeah, but then, you know, God, he also, you know, showed up like George Burns, too. I mean, he, you know, he has a lot of different ways that he can show up. Um, you know, the first time he came to me, 
and let his presence be known to me. He was, he did it. I was in my home office where I am right now, and he uh, he took it from of a burning couch, like my couch that I, is in my office was 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 burning, um, and he ruined it actually, which was a bummer because I just bought it and there's a there's a pull out, you know, I was just like I I it was nice, it was a nice couch, and he ruined it. Um, so that's the form that he came in the first time. And then sometimes writing this, he would sort of possess my soul, and he would just sort of type for me. And sometimes we go to Starbucks, you know, work over a latte or two. Well, it's going to be hard, though. I mean, he's not he's not a fast worker. I mean, the Ten Commandments uh, and, and much of the, 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 the Old Testament took a long time. I and mean, Moses was there for, like, how long? He was there a while. Yeah, but it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. He was dictating the entire book of the, f- the first five books of Moses. Except for the parts still to come where Moses wandered for 40 years and then died. He didn't dictate that to Moses at the time because, like, obviously that would give the whole thing away. But everything up to that point, he, he dictated to Moses. Well, did you get, after you were finished meeting God, did you get some of that God face going on? Like, did you, did you have, like, the shiny, holy, holy fucking crap, this guy's been talking to God because his face looks like it's on fire? No, no, I just usually have a feeling of just like, oh, I'm so glad that's over with, you know. Because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm working on a screenplay. I have a musical that I'm trying to, to work on of a pilot trying to write. So, you know, he would just come in any all hours and sort of drag me to the keyboard and, and make me take stuff down. So for, for me, working with God was just more of a, a big, constant pain in the ass. Um, I don't have any God faith. I, I don't claim to be a prophet. Uh, he, I have no special ability, you know, to talk to God when he's not around. Uh, I don't. I mean, he offered me a deal going into this, where either I could get a, a nice, hefty share of the royalties, or have a place at his left hand forever in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, but the whole royalties thing sounds kind of bullshit because you got what one year to try to make money on this book before it's over. Well, yeah, it's 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 one year, but. You know, I'm going to live my life to the fullest in, in that one year. I'm, I, I took the royalties deal because I think the royalties is 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 better. Um, and I, I'm hoping that if we sell a lot of books quickly, you know, I can see some of that money and you know use it for a some kind of party shindig. Right, but technically, if you wrote, at least, even if you were sort of like a partial writer of uh, the, the the last testament, that does make you a prophet. Believe me, believe me. If this book makes me a prophet, I'll be very happy. Oh, I forgot. I, I, I forgot how clever you are, David. That's what I did. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? I'll, I'll, uh, we'll leave it there. I, I want to recommend everyone to go and, uh, and read this book, The Last Testament, A Memoir by God. If you want to know what God has planned for you, if you want to know how he really wanted all of the Testaments to really work out, because you know what? I can't blame him for, for not uh, writing it properly the first time. Uh, any, any author will tell you the first, your first draft is never your best one. Yeah, and I also want to mention that uh, God tweets. He tweets regularly at The Tweet of God. That is his Twitter account, The Tweet of God. And uh, he would love to have you join his followers. Uh, obviously, if you're a follower of God, you, know, you get a couple of special privileges, both in this world and the next. So it would be nice... For the listeners here, I know you're all atheists, but, you know, just do yourself a favor. Trust me. Sign up for the Sweet of God. He might forgive you for not believing in him. And plus, think about this. When the kingdom of heaven comes and we're all supposed to have mansions, no one said that all the mansions were equally awesome. 
So it's probably a better idea to, uh, you know, get in on it early. Make sure that you have the better mansion because, you know, even in heaven, you'll be keeping up with the Goldbergs. I think I, I think it's mostly condos actually. I, I don't really think the, the mansions are just for like the like really like the righteous like Pat Robertson and Joel Osteen. They get them, but but, but still, I, you could make it a nice condo or even like a timeshare in a condo if if you could actually join the Twitter account. Well, how 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 long does a timeshare work for eternity? Like I'm curious, where do I go in a timeshare that lasts forever? I have to go somewhere else. Uh, well, obviously, you spend the first quarter of eternity in the timeshare, and then the last three quarters, you have to kind of find other lodgings. So just a quarter of you get a quarter of eternity you get in in the timeshare. I, I know that sounds like a lot, but it will eventually, maybe potentially, run out. So I'm no, out. no, no, because eternity is infinite, and the good thing is, so is a quarter of eternity. That's so, true. That you can always add. To that one, so I guess technically it's like one of those weird loophole out of your uh, timeshare. Nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. To, to, you know, timeshare timeshares work differently in infinite time. So do Ponzi schemes, I bet. Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, thank you, David, for uh, joining us. And uh, I I wanted to mention that uh, I was also a fan of america uh the book which i do own as well oh thank you you were um a head writer from 2002 to 2006 the daily uh daily show was that right yeah i was a writer for three years before that and then the head writer for four years and then the ep for three years it, technically speaking most of the people listening to the show uh you are a god to them so uh i well if i'm a god to them then by definition that's they're living an oxymoron aren't they well no one ever said that a you know for an atheist a god had to be someone who's all powerful it just had to be someone worth worshiping a little. Okay, I'll I'll settle for being a person they respect. That's that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> God. Well, thanks, David, for being on the show and uh, and for gracing us with uh, with with God's word. Uh, you, uh, you're welcome. And may I say, <laughs> Amen. All right, thanks, David.